welcome back to I'd Rather Be at the Beach, brought to you by the Bonjour Agency. This is the podcast for school marketing people that's nothing to do with school marketing, because let's face it, you work hard enough already, so this is just for fun. In each episode, I speak to someone in the sector who won't talk about work, but we get to find out more about them as a person. And in this episode, you'll find me talking to Kathy Campbell. Now, Kathy is going to tell us all about her career before she stepped into school marketing, from her first ever job to the time when Mick Jagger made her a cup of tea. She'll reveal how much of a petrol head she is, she'll talk to us about her nomadic lifestyle, and we explore her love for dance. Now that's all coming up in this episode, so whether you're driving to school, walking the dog, or hitting the treadmill in your local gym, buckle up for some fun as we find out about the person who is Kathy Campbell. Kathy, thank you for being here and welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm really well, thank you, Simon. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you today. I've got some sunshine from my room that I can see at the moment, which is always good for making me feel a little bit more cheerful. Well, that's good. So you're recording this from home then. Uh, just tell us whereabouts in the world you are right now. I'm actually in North Bedfordshire. I'm in a little village called Charnbrook, which is very centrally located, and I'm surrounded by woodland and trees. I'm very fortunate to have some beautiful countryside just outside the house. Awesome. Now, of course, this is the podcast for school marketing managers that's not about school marketing, so we're not allowed to talk about that. But what I'd love to do is to know a little bit more about your career before you stepped into school marketing. And I'm going to guess that you did have one only because I don't think many people leave school or leave university thinking to themselves, I know what I want to do. I want to go into school marketing management. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just not often on people's radars. So tell us a bit about what you were doing if you were doing something different before this. When you're absolutely right there, Simon, I certainly was doing something else before I did this. And I actually trained as a graphic designer. I went to art school in the 80s and was very fortunate to leave and go straight into a job. And I worked for The Times in London. Okay. Um, very, very different to the work I'm doing now. In fact, my role was to design the front cover of the Times Literary Supplement every week and commission the illustrations inside each edition. And it was fantastic. I met some amazing people doing that job. Wow. So, so hang on, that, that was in the 80s. I'm guessing this is pre-children, is that right? This absolutely is pre-children, yes. It was the sort of job where I would leave home on a Monday morning and possibly not actually get home till Thursday. We had really tight deadlines. It was great fun. It was hard to actually work out whether you were actually working or just having fun because it was such a wonderful career. But yes, it wasn't possible to carry on doing that when I had children. Tell us a bit more about how it felt then, because I, I think a lot of people listening to this right now may well have their own children I know I've got my own children and I'm kind of thinking back to that world where you sort of you're starting out on your career and there you are in central London and you know you don't have any responsibilities and everything is new and everything's exciting tell us a bit about how you felt at that time constantly exhilarated to be honest and constantly quite tired but because I was young that didn't seem to matter I think I think the funniest thing about it is when I tell my daughters now about the career I had they they say things like 
mum, if you met that person or that person, why didn't you take a selfie? And first of all, I had to explain that we didn't have mobile phones in those days and it would have been a case of getting an autograph in my little autograph book from school. But I think I just thought that was going to be my whole life. So meeting quite famous people in really bizarre situations was something that I just didn't really think was something I should be recording. But yeah, it was it was wonderful. I mean, we actually had Vaclav Havel came over to visit the UK to do an article for the Times Literary Supplement in his capacity as a playwright. And I, as a very young sort of intern, if you like, in my early 20s, was asked to look after him. And I had to look after him each evening for a week. And I remember thinking, why on earth are you asking me? Why not have Mm. these really intelligent writers? We had Alan Hollinghurst was one of my colleagues. Why not get him to take out Backlove Hovel? And of course, looking back on it now, I think, "Mm, okay, I was in my early 20s. I was blonde. I was quite bubbly and vivacious. Maybe I can now see why they why they thought Vaclav <laughs> might like to spend the evenings in restaurants with me. But it was amazing, absolutely amazing. And I I then went on from there to work for other companies in the design sector. I designed album covers. I had Mick Jagger made me a cup of tea, which was quite bizarre. And I, I just had a fantastic time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on. Mick Jagger made you a cup of tea. How did that come around? But what's going on there? He he, he made me a cup of tea. <laughs> well, we were we were designing a, a compilation album cover, and of course, I was very young, very naive, very polite. I'd been to an all girls school, so I was probably not the typical product of an art school in the eighties. And I was working in this company, and I was the account manager for this particular project. And their account manager was called Mick, and we had a back door into the design studio. And they were downstairs. There was a meeting. They're going, Kathy, hurry up, hurry up. You're needed downstairs at the board meeting. I'll need you to come and explain this design. So I went downstairs and the guy was in the kitchen making the tea. Mm-hmm. And they had done this on purpose to wind me up. I said, do you have sugar in your tea? And I was busy saying, you know I don't have sugar in my tea. I've never had sugar in my tea. Marched into the kitchen and it wasn't <laughs> Mick, the account manager. It was Mick Jagger making me a cup of tea. And of course, being a very young girl, I just blushed profusely and said how very in English way, how sorry I was that I'd been rude to him about how he Brilliant. should have known I had sh- didn't have sugar in my tea. But yes, yeah, so bizarre moments like that. <laughs> So you mentioned about your your children. Do they find it quite strange that mum had this, if I, if I say this exciting career beforehand, I, I, I don't want to indicate that school marketing isn't exciting, but clearly being in centre of London and meeting people like Mick Jagger is going to be a, a small world apart from most school marketing teams in schools right now. How do your children feel about that life that you had beforehand? Do you know, I think they're probably only just beginning to realise that that mum isn't just a stressy person that's always telling them to tidy up and Mm -hmm. do things like that. Mm -hmm. They've they've grown up now. I've got a daughter who lives in Kenya and she's got her own daughter. My other daughter is actually at art school herself. And I think it's probably only just now that they're actually starting to realise that their mum is a person who, who had her own life rather than just being sort of always stressed always busy, always rushing, always telling them off, and in between having some fun. Interesting point then, not wanting to get too deep and meaningful too early, but you kind of touched on the on the idea of identity there. Do you think that people who work in school marketing sometimes have an issue with their own identity? I'm thinking about people who've maybe had children, come back to work, not sure whether their focus should be you know, at, at home or, or in the workplace, knowing that they used to 
have a, a, a title before having children and maybe that maybe their confidence gets knocked a little bit I'm just thinking about some of the people who I know that's all w- what are your thoughts on that do you know I, I think that's a really good point actually and I've come across that quite a lot and I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that there is still a lack of understanding that those people who are not academic teaching staff in schools are still highly qualified professionals and I think we've still got a bit of a way to go until perhaps the the other part of school which is the teaching and the academic side recognises that those people who don't teach are not just support staff. I have a bit of a problem with that terminology and I think if we can do something to make that better I think it will help the attitude because there is that slight underlying feeling that you're not quite as good as us for some reason and maybe if there's maybe there's a way that some of the marketing managers some of the admissions staff can actually do some sort of presentation to explain what they did before they worked in the school and that might help. Oh yeah oh I like that That's, that's a nice touch I do like that. Okay, right. So let's take it back to Cathy Campbell, because you and I ran into each other in Dubai at the Independent School Show a couple of months ago. And one of the things I discovered from you back there was that you're a bit of a petrol head. Is is that a fair thing to say? Yes, (laughs) that's absolutely true. Yes, my... I think my poor dad should have had sons. He didn't. He had two daughters and he used to build cars when he was younger and he did rally driving until my mum told him that was not a sensible thing to do when he had daughters. So I've been saving up since I was about 18 to buy a particularly nice car, Mm -hmm. which is not a sensible thing to do at my stage of life, but it is something I haven't regretted. And I also have a motorhome, which I love driving as well. And in fact, the first vehicle I ever learned to drive was a steam engine. And I've I've driven a huge full-size steam engine around the showground in Peterborough. I think I was probably about 13 or 14 at the time. How in the world did you end up driving a steam engine somewhere like that? I don't quite know because I was so tiny, I could hardly put the coal in the engine. <laughs> it was my father built them. As a hobby, of course. And he had a little three-inch scale burrell engine. Mm -hmm. Um, I won't go on for too long about that because that will bore some people (laughs) to death. But I used to go and drive those at little steam rallies. And I used to sit on the back and the, the... the chimney at the front was about level with my eyes. So once you'd finished giving all the rides to the children on the trailer in the back, your face would be completely covered in soot. Yeah, yeah. But yes, anything I love. I've I've had a go at driving, or probably not driving, piloting a Type 23 frigate up the North, the North Sea as well. That was great fun. <laughs> really enjoyed that. <laughs> um, and how did you end up in that situation? Well, that was when I actually accompanied a group of girls from the school I was working at at the time with the naval section of the CCF. And we went down to the boat show, stayed on HMS Northumberland. And then it was taken through the Thames barrier and up to Newcastle. And they took the stabilisers off and it went through some testing. And it was great fun. The part where we had storms at sea and luckily I'm not actually seasick so I was put in charge of carrying the bucket and uh, it's probably the one time in my life where I wished I was actually the one being seasick. Okay all right well let's jump back to your (laughs) vehicle that you were saving for since you were 18 I think you said. What car is this? Just tell us all. It's a Porsche. It's a Porsche 911 4S convertible. And how long have you had this for then? I've had this probably about seven years now. It wasn't new 
So, yeah, it's not a new one. It's now deemed to be a classic car. But one of the things I'd always wanted to do was reenact the scene, well, just part of the scene, not the whole scene, because that would have been a little bit terminal, from the start of the Italian job. I've always loved Matt Monroe, and I wanted to have Matt Monroe playing on days like these on the stereo as I drove through the Alps with the roof down, enjoying the fresh air. Now, I didn't quite do it on the, I think it's the SP50, which is the road in the Italian Alps that the initial stage of the Italian jobs filmed on. But I went through the Furka Pass, which is actually where it's featured in Goldfinger, James Bond, the James Bond film. In fact, part of the Furka Pass is called James Bond Strasse, which Mm. is the bit on the east side. And I just absolutely loved it, drove through there. So I've done miles and miles and miles in that car, all through Europe, the Black Forest, through the Alps, through the Pyrenees. It's fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. And then you mentioned the motorhome as well. What kind of motorhome is this and where do you enjoy taking that? It's a Hymer. It's a Hymer Compact 478C. It's a double diner. It's got two tables, which means it's got a table at the front, table at the back. It's got two double beds in it. It's got fridge, oven, shower, everything. And it's actually just parked outside the house. It's on the drive at the moment. And I really... I use it for work and I use it for pleasure. So sometimes I'll just drive to the seaside and use it as my office so that I can open the windows, listen to the waves while I'm working away, using my hotspot for the internet. But that too has been all around the Pyrenees, the Alps, all around Scotland. And I just wild camp. I think I've only twice stayed in a campsite. And one of those times was when I was in the Bois de Boulogne because I saw lots of motorhomes just wild camped in the Bois de Boulogne and thought, oh, well, I won't spend money. I'll park there. And then I realised that they were acting as a very different kind of office to the one I was using mine for, and I hot-footed it back to the campsite pretty quickly. Okay, right. Yes. (laughs) I I, I think I get where you're going with that. (laughs) Yes, yes. But on the whole, I've always felt very safe, and there are lots of lovely pubs around the country that are very close to some of the schools that I work with who let me stay overnight. So I'll go to the pub after I've been to work in a school, have a meal, they'll ask me if I'd like another drink, and I'll say, well, yes, please, if I can park in your car park. Mm. And there's a lovely one in Taunton that actually brings me bacon sandwiches in the morning so it's great fun lovely lifestyle now this really does sound quite idyllic this idea of being able to move your work to the beach and temporarily work with the sound of the waves in the background I think you said I mean this sort of digital nomadic lifestyle seems to be getting more and more popular these days what's your experience of doing that kind of thing it's fantastic you know it's something I've always wanted to try and get back to since I did some freelance work in my earlier career Mm. and It really does work well for me. And it's because I think because I now work for myself, it's a wonderful way of enabling you to work long hours, but actually weave your private life and weave what makes you happy into the way you work, Mm. which I think is really important because if we're not happy, then we're really never going to be as productive as we could be doing our jobs. Mm. So to be able to go and sit by the beach or sit in the woods or or travel away and combine that with work mm. is is a really important and special thing to do, I think. Kathy, you strike me as the kind of person, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but if, if there is a Mm-mm. normal way of doing <laughs> things, it, it strikes me that you're the sort of person that says, well, I'm ne- not necessarily going to do it the normal way. I'm going to challenge that norm and find what might be a better way of doing it. And maybe the best way of doing it is the normal way, in inverted commas, but maybe actually there is a better way of doing it, or at least a better way for you as a person. 
Is that fair? It's very fair, Simon, and very astute. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I hadn't really thought about it before, but I think that's something my dad actually taught me to do from a very early age was to question everything mm. with curiosity and kindness. And it was it, it's the fact that don't accept anything until you've really truly understood it and explored it yourself, mm. um, which doesn't mean to be contradictory. And doesn't mean to be argumentative, but it is just, you know, it's it's our life, it's our experience. And, you know, education in every way is very, very important. It mm. doesn't stop when you leave school. And, mm. yeah, and to always be looking to see if there is a better way. And if there isn't, fine. At least, you know, you've understood yourself that the way things are done mm. is the right way to do it. But I, mm. I think it is a good way of living life. It's a good mantra. Yeah, because we often look at children, don't we? We recognise, of course, that children go through significant changes as they get older and go through their school life. But I think that a lot of people, adults included, think of adulthood as being a time where you become an adult and that's it. You're kind of fixed in that adult mindset and you don't really change or develop as a person as much as you would do as a child. But maybe we do and maybe we're always changing. And so the ability to be able to challenge the way that we do things is more important than ever. Yeah, I I think you're right. I mean, I when I was younger, I always wanted to dance, but I was always too self-conscious, too embarrassed, didn't want to look a fool on the dance floor, didn't want to get something wrong. Typical girl, having gone to a girls' school, didn't want to get anything wrong. And I decided in my mid-30s that it was time I learned to dance. Mm. So I signed up for a course of dancing, and I have to say the first six weeks were sheer hell, and I got to the venue and sat in the car park sometimes and just thought, I can't do this, there's mm. no way I can go in here. Mm. A, there are all these strange men who are invading my personal space and I don't think I've got rhythm and I can't follow the instructions. And then all of a sudden something clicked and I just can't stop now. And ever since, well, for the last 20 years, I've been doing ballroom. I've done my medals. I do salsa. I do tango. I learned tango actually in Barcelona. um, West Coast Swing. Anything except tap and ballet. I don't do tap and ballet, but anything else, I'll give it a go. And it's just really opened another world to me and the fact that it's something I didn't do when I was young Mm. I think is really really important Mm. so I'm almost getting to the stage now of thinking "Mm, what should I try next Mm. what does the next stage of my life hold Mm. I love that tell me how you feel now then when you're dancing compared to how you felt when you were younger and being very self-conscious I love it. And and you know what? The the embarrassment is now transferred to my daughters because if we go to a concert somewhere, I'll be down at the front dancing and they'll be sitting there just, oh, my goodness, no, mum, that's so embarrassing. But it's completely turned around. Mm. And I think also it makes me think, it helps me to think if there's if there are other challenges I face, even if it's, you know, in the workplace where I've got a deadline and I think, oh, my goodness, why have I said yes to all this? There's no way I can do it. Mm. I just think back and think, Kathy. You can actually dance now. You can dance quite well. If you've learned to do that, you can do this. You've just got to break it down into smaller chunks and and you can you can do it. And I think we can all do more than we think we can. Tell me something more about that. We all, you, you think we can all do more than we think we can. Yeah. And I, I think as we get older, there's a tendency for us to be content with what we've done rather than continue to think forward about what we could do 
in life. And because we build up these amazing memories as we get older, we feel, oh, I'm really satisfied. I've visited that country. I've travelled there. I've achieved a really senior position in my job. And that becomes contentment. And we think, yeah, we've had a good life. We need to stop doing that. We need to continue to look forward. I mean, I I feel as if I've still got another section of my career ahead. Mm, yeah. And I'm possibly only halfway through, whereas friends of mine are retiring. I mean, how mad is that yeah. to retire in your mid-50s? Yeah, yeah. What a waste of life. <laughs> There's so many things to still do and they will just go and play golf every day. <laughs> and that's that's just no way to live. So anyway, yeah. Gosh, th- th- this is brilliant. Kathy, I-, I don't think I've ever been more inspired to you know look to the future with so much excitement. We need to bring this to a close in a minute. <laughs> but um, if anyone's heard anything and wanted to get in touch with you directly, uh, do, do you mind if anyone did that? Could you share any contact details? Yes, sure. You can email me. It's hello at... Pear Education, which is P-A-I-R, as in two, not the fruit. Hello at peereducation.co.uk. Hello at peereducation.co.uk. That's perfect. Cathy, thank you so much for being here today. It's been really, really good fun talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. And thanks for sharing your experience of life and not like not just the life you've had, but the life that's yet to come as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Simon. It's been a great pleasure to chat to you. Thank you. So that was Cathy Campbell. What an amazing woman. Cathy, a huge thank you from me for coming on to this episode of the podcast. So good of you to give up your time to talk to us today. Now, the next episode is coming out soon and this is still a new podcast channel. So click that option to follow or subscribe and it just means you won't miss the next one. Now, to find out more about podcasting in your school for your own marketing purposes, then come visit our website. It's thebonjouragency.com and you can find out more there. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode and I look forward to seeing you in the next one. Bye for now.